and you mentioned, you know, not every dog fits every trainer and every style and all of that. And that's a very valid point. You know, not every dog will excel at every trainer's program or facility or um, their training methods. So um, you do need to kind of take that into consideration when you're choosing a trainer as well. Hey guys, Kat here from Standing Stone, and today I get the opportunity to talk with Ashley Wilson, who has her dog Red in for training with us. He's actually here for not only hunting training and obedience training, but also to prep for his Novda Natural Ability Test, which she is going to run him in. Um, Ashley has actually already had Red at another trainer, and we want to take this opportunity to share what that experience was like, what she liked about it, what she didn't like about it, and what she learned from that experience and how to educate yourself to pick the right trainer for you and your dog and how to prioritize what your goals are so that you can pick the right place to send your dog. So follow along, listen in, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Ashley, how are you today? Hi, Kat. We're doing good here in Texas. Thank you. Awesome. So I bet you would love an update on Red. <laughs> he having there. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't have him sitting here with me. He's in the kennel. He's actually probably in the middle of, well, he's probably finished with a let out and just getting ready for dinner about this time today. So, um, but he's doing really good. His woe training, he's back in the field. Um, he good. loves to swim now, um, which I'm not now, so but he's happy to see that. swimming like a little fish. And then uh, we'll be working on some tracking coming up and just finishing up all his training in order for you to come get him. So yes. Anyway, so today I want to talk to you um, about how to pick a trainer and why you picked trainers and that whole process, um, because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with or don't know how to go about doing is how to pick a trainer and who they should send their dog to. And you don't know what you don't know. So this is an opportunity to share with people um, your process of what you went through to first pick your first trainer um, and then kind of what happened there and how uh, that moved into your second trainer. So if you would like to share a little bit about how you went about picking your first trainer and we're not naming names or going into any of those details. Yes, absolutely. Um, First of all, I'd like to say that I knew nothing. (laughs) Um, This was all my husband's idea, Um, but I got involved. I fell in love with the puppy and he became mine. Um, so I didn't know much. And even, I guess I should back up and say that I knew a little bit, thanks to you guys, um, from watching your videos. Um, so when we were first picking our first trainer, the, my number one thing was I wanted the trainer to be in close proximity so that I could learn and I could be involved. That was, um, that was my number one criteria. Um, and outside of that, I didn't know very much more at all. Um, so that was kind of our starting place. Um, we were a little limited in Texas. Um, there were very few trainers here in particularly South Texas, where we are. Texas is a, is a big state. Um, so I was looking for someone that I could drive to on the weekends. Um, There were a few trainers that were specific to more labs for retrieving, but they didn't really have the experience with um, a a GSP with what we have. Um, And so we kind of went with our closest option that has worked with GSPs in the past. Um, Our first GSP that we have, we bought from a trainer fully trained ready to go. So this was all brand new to us. So that's kind of how we started out was close proximity being the priority. Gotcha. Okay. And when you went about and found, you know, Googled or however you found this trainer that was within close proximity, I mean, everybody Googles Googles things these days, right? So um, that, did you set up uh, phone calls at all? Did you email? How did you go about Phone yes. call. Okay. And That's how you set some, up training. We had some word of mouth. Um, I didn't know anyone personally that had used this particular trainer, but just word of mouth. Um, oh, so-and-so in such and such area 
you know, they work with, we've heard good things about them. Um, and so we did have some word of mouth recommendations. Um, they're, in hindsight, they did not have a website. That wasn't incredibly important to me because I realized being in this field, um, it, a lot of it is word of mouth and having a website is not always important to especially the good old boys of Texas. Um, so that, that wasn't a huge red flag to me. Um, so it was more word of mouth, phone call, um, and how long is my dog going to be with you? <laughs> okay. Gotcha. And what was, uh, the expectation at that point of how long red was going to be at the trainer? So the expectation was that they were going to do obedience training with him. And then they were going to have him ready to hunt. Um, and at the time, that was the extent of my knowledge. Um, I, I got him on the, on the list when he was about three months old and he was scheduled to go at seven months old. Um, and that was, that was the extent. Um, so as far as it came, when it came to training prior to the seven month part, uh, point, I, I honestly, I followed y'all's videos, which were incredible. Um, you just were a long ways away from me. Yeah. From South Texas <laughs> um, to where we're at. Videos. Um, from Red's report cards, I can tell that I did a really, really good job teaching him to sit. Maybe <laughs> too good of a job. <laughs> um, so I did just some basic things that were kind of all I knew to do at the time. And then I was really relying on that seven month part to take my dog, have my dog for two to three months was the expectation to do obedience okay. and him come back to us ready to hunt, which I have to point out that I've never been a bird hunter. So when I say this was all new to me, anybody out there that's listening, thinking that they would like to get into this and they don't know where to start, I am, I am, I was right there knowing absolutely nothing and just starting this process myself, so... And sometimes that makes it even more difficult than, you know, picking a trainer is you don't even know what questions to necessarily ask yeah, as a, you know, beginning dog owner, begin, beginning hunting dog owner. So it's like, well, what should I even ask? Because I don't even truly know what I need my dog to know mm -hmm. to be a hunting dog. And oh, that's no, I, something was, I was completely ignorant. And um, my husband, who I say got me into all of this, um, it was, it was all his idea. Um, he had never really done bird hunting either. It was all in the plan. And then some health issues and surgeries kind of set him back. Um, so he has never really had the opportunity to learn as we had both expected. So we were kind of the blind leading the blind and not really, we were ignorant um, in the true sense of the word. Yeah. And it is really hard to to ask the right questions when you don't know what those are. Um, and also, like I said, you might've Googled to find a trainer near you. And that's the same thing. Now, if you're going out to dinner and you Google restaurants, you're going to get so many different options. And how do you know if they're good? You know, do they have good reviews, you know, five-star reviews, 4.5 star review, mm -hmm. things like that. So it, there's just so much information out there sometimes that you can become overwhelmed as well. So you, you uh, can uh, yeah. And not only that, what someone else's five-star review is may not be mine and your five-star review. Um, what I ultimately discovered I was looking for in a trainer um, is not necessarily what other people were looking for in a trainer. And in the long run, that ended up making a, a huge difference with our exactly. training. Exactly. And that was something that you had even, you know, slightly mentioned earlier is, you know, you were looking at a couple different trainers that were close to you, uh, but some of them primarily focused on labs and yes. with the retriever based things, not necessarily the versatile upland hunting dog side of things. So even at that point you did know, Hey, I probably want to gear Red's training at a facility that is more experienced with versatile hunting dogs. So even knowing as little as you did, you knew enough that, Hey, I probably should try and pick a trainer, <laughs> pick a trainer. That's going to get me in the right direction. Um, and you mentioned, you know, not every 
dog fits every trainer and every style and all of that. And that's a very valid point. You know, not every dog will excel at every trainer's program or facility or um, their training methods. So um, you do need to kind of take that into consideration when you're choosing a trainer as well. Um, yes. So what were things, because obviously you went to another trainer and then Red is here with us now. So another trainer, um, what what did you like? What didn't you like about the first training situation? Were there red flags or any issues specifically? There, there were red flags. Um, and I'll be, and, and there were red flags for me and there were red flags specific and I'll, I'll make sure I clarify, um, what things made me uneasy and then what caused us to pull our dog. And those were two different things. Um, there were red flags. There were things that made me uncomfortable. Um, just in this was my baby. Um, our dogs are indoor dogs. Um, red has never slept a night outside. Um, in fact, the night before he went to training, um, he got a bath and he thoroughly enjoyed snuggling up in his bathrobe, compliments of bark box. Um, so our dogs are very much so part of our family. Um, the, the training atmosphere that we went to and I did not, nor did my husband, we did not tour this facility um, prior to going was an outdoor facility um, at the end of February. Um, so when I say that my dog went through um, a, a complete drastic change in environment. It was it was dramatic. Um, he went to living outside from a bathroom one night to living outside uh, with nothing but a barrel. Um, and with at the time when we dropped him off, there were only about ten other dogs there, um, and. It was just, it was a big change. Um, South Texas, we don't get incredibly cold, but we did have some very cold snaps. Um, I do know I did make sure and do enough homework to know that they had heaters to be able to turn on for the dogs to keep them warm if the temperature dropped down. And I, I, I trust that they, they did. Um, so there were, um, there were things that made me a little uncomfortable just in the, um, the environment itself, the outdoor kennels, um, the, the chain length separations. Um, there were, I know for a fact that the dog that was right next to red was a huge, massive looking dog. Um, I, I learned after getting there that they also just, they provide kennel space for dogs. So it's not just hunting dogs of similar breed or similar uh, purpose being there. Um, so Red may not have cared about the huge black dog being next to him, but the huge black dog next to him scared even me. Uh, but it, just, <laughs> it was just a complete change, uh, a very big, big change for him. Um, so it made me uneasy. Um, and I felt like I was being a wimp. Um, I had quite a few, um, male colleagues and, you know, people here in South Texas, oh, that baby's going to grow up to be a man. They're going to make a man out of him. Um, but I was very uneasy with leaving him, um, and being a man also, my husband was very uneasy leaving him. I mean, we both commented that uh, as we're leaving and I have these big, huge crocodile tears coming down my eyes, he said, yeah, this isn't exactly what I expected. <laughs> so we both kind of had this uneasy feeling, but both of us not really knowing. Um, we thought, okay, you know, plenty of dogs live like this. He will survive. He will, he will do fine. Um, and like I keep coming back to, you don't know what you don't know. You hadn't necessarily toured the facility ahead of time or gone mm -hmm. to see another facility. So you're, you don't know if this is the standard. You know, we this thought is... this was the standard. Right. I mean, aside from the fact that I have watched y'all's videos and my husband has picked at me that, you know, if I if I had it my way, my dog and everything would be a little mini standing stone facility. Um, <laughs> so I did I did know that it was out there. It just 
didn't seem to be here. And again, with the primary goal being proximity, I, we were going with what we had available to us. So. Gotcha. So you mentioned that um, though that was a red flag when you dropped him off, uh, it wasn't the ultimate issue that ended up yeah. pulling him from training. Yeah. And I will say um, also um, a, a couple of red flags that will play into um, and they became even more so red flags once I started educating myself, which came af- kind of after, but um, no vet records were requested. Um, I knew that my dog was up to date on everything. And so I felt, I felt fairly safe with, um, his being and knowing that he was fully vaccinated and everything possible done. Um, I had taken his own food, um, trusting that they would transition him. Um, that didn't happen though. Um, so, um, he had a, an abrupt change of food as well. Um, we ultimately pulled red. Um, I went after two weeks to visit, um, to check on him. Um, and it was at that point that the trainer had, um, had mentioned that he had been, um, uh, peeing in the barrel every night, um, which was, uh, a little upsetting to me just because Red was completely potty trained. So it wasn't like him to pee where he was sleeping. Um, and the biggest thing was, is that he had lost a lot of weight. Um, I brought him home with me that night. Uh, the, the trainer had okayed it. And my husband and I both were just kind of taken back after spending a little bit of time with him. Um, he had nothing but liquid almost water, diarrhea, stool. Um, so at that point I was concerned about Giardia or some uh, worm or something. Um, but he just, he, he just was so skinny. Um, so we, we chose, and I will say that at that point I did, um, I reached out through Patreon to, um, to Ethan. Ethan was a tremendous resource to me. Um, and one of the most commendable things was, is that he did not bash that trainer. He simply told me how things would be at standing stall. He told me, um, what I could, ex- what I should expect a dog's physique to look like after two weeks of training. Um, long story short, we ended up, we pulled red, um, it, it just, it was not the right fit. Um, and just for health reasons, we spent a couple of months just putting back on weight. He had lost about 15 pounds, um, and just getting him back healthy. Uh, we had some problems with, uh, resource guarding aggression, um, where he would just sit and he would stare at his food bowl, just like he didn't want it to go anywhere. Um, don't take it from him, but he just wanted to make sure it was there. Uh, so we had a little bit of a setback, um, but that, that health reasons is ultimately the reason why we pulled him. And it was, as I explained to that trainer, it, it was not that my dog didn't fit there. It was not that he had an issue. Um, it was more or less that number one, it wasn't noticed. And number two, it wasn't communicated to us. Um, we expected him to have an adjustment period. I can't say I expected it to be that extreme, um, but we would have expected communication. And that was the main thing. Yeah. And definitely seeing your dog in that situation, that condition unexpectedly, no pre-warnings like, hey, you know, Red's kind of got an upset stomach. He's been Mm -hmm. having some diarrhea. Um, He's choosing really not to eat well or He's not holding weight on the food he is eating, any number of things just to um, give you a heads up and say, letting you know that, hey, I'm also concerned about his physique, his body condition, um, to let you know that it's being communicated and that it's a concern for for not only you, but for us as well. Um, So that is definitely something that um, would have been a red flag for me as well. The biggest thing was, is that, um, the trainer didn't notice, um, because when we, we did, we talked to him we didn't just, you know, pull red and decide never to go back. We did try to open up those lines of communication and he, his opinion was that red was adjusting fine. And our opinion was 
something's something's not adding up here. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that's how we ended up with red getting pulled from the first trainer. Yes. Okay. And a couple things just to hit on is like you mentioned, you know, the facility wasn't quite what you had expected, but you also didn't know necessarily what to expect. Um, and yes, South Texas probably has different climates than Kansas where we're at, or even obviously North Dakota or something Mm -hmm. um, further North. So I know that dogs and barrels outside isn't necessarily uncommon. Um, but as you mentioned before, every training facility, every dog, every trainer has a different fit. So that was, you know, a huge shock to Red's normal environment, normal expectation. Yes. (laughs) He's like, where's my dog bed? Where's, where's my bath towel? Um, so that would have been a big adjustment in and of itself. And, Truly, I wouldn't have expected a dog to make much progress as far as training goals with that drastic of an adjustment needing to be made either. So the fact that you didn't pull him because, oh, he's not making all this great progress is is important to note as well. It was based no, on other things. I, I mean, on the contrary, um, the day that I went to see him, he was already out in the field when I when I got there. So I got to actually see him in the field. And he ignored me. Like I was so excited to see him and all he could care about was running this field and finding birds. I mean, he, he wasn't slowing down one bit. I mean, in the field, he was absolutely loving it. Um, They did, they did things a little different than you. And again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep in mind kind of what my knowledge base was at that time and what my knowledge base is now, because it was, it was a wake up call for me. Um, but now I know that probably starting him on bird launchers and an e-collar was probably premature. Uh, we had a few little issues there that I didn't realize was issues until I started educating myself again, I was ignorant. Um, but him in the field was not a problem. I mean, he was, he was loving it. Um, and that was one thing I did learn about these dogs is that even when they are not healthy, they still have this drive and they'll just, they're very resilient (laughs) and tough dogs almost, almost to the point where they, where they will push themselves too hard. Um, and we have to advocate for them in, in lots of different ways, whether, you know, they're not holding weight or having, you know, diarrhea, as well as if it's too hot to be working, you know, when we're hunting our dogs early season and it's getting too warm, sometimes our dogs don't want to stop. And we have to say, no, buddy, it's too hot. You need to stop. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they are, they're very tough. (laughs) Yeah. They're very (laughs) tough and resilient dogs. Um, and they have a lot of heart and drive and they want to work. So, um, the fact that he ignored you completely when you came to see him is not unexpected. Um, you know, because he was proud of him. I was, but then also my little, my little pride, like, Oh, you prefer to stay chasing that daggum pigeon over coming and seeing me. Okay. I see where I line up. (laughs) He he was all business. He knew what he He was was. out there to do. So, um, which is a good thing because that means he, he really has that drive and desire to hunt. And then obviously, as you know, the ability to settle down and be a nice, sweet dog in the house. So, yes. So that was what decided you to take him out of training. And then you did, like you mentioned, some rehab, getting his weight back up, getting, you know, diarrhea under control and making sure that he was, you know, in good physical condition before you chose to send him off to other training. Um, When you went through the process of where am I going to send him next based on your previous experience, I'm sure you had other factors you were thinking to ask about and wanting to confirm before you sent him somewhere else. Yes. What were those things specifically that you were now on your radar of things to even think about asking? So uh, like I said, it was a wake up call for me that I could not remain um, ignorant in how my dog was getting trained, what the training was supposed to be, what we should be expecting um, I reached out for help. Um, and whether you're a social media friend or not, there are quite, um, ex- it's a quite an excellent resource when you're trying to network. So I did, I found a, a nice group on Facebook that was full of just women um, with bird dogs and they became a great resource to me um, 
in educating me and um, recommending some books so that I could learn and I could teach myself. Um, at the time, I couldn't even consider sending him off to another trainer. Um, so I thought, I'll teach myself and I'll teach him. That's just how it's going to be. <laughs> um, I think real life sets in and you realize that unless if you really want this dog to perform at its peak and you really want the best for the dog, um, unless that's your full-time job or unless you have a job that's different than mine, it's not realistic. So um, I, I had read a few books. I had then learned what I was expecting of my dog. Um, I knew, number one, um, the environment that he was living in was important. I talked with quite a few uh, trainers elsewhere in Texas that were um, still quite a distance, about seven, eight hours away. Um, they all utilized outdoor kennels, um, which was, it, it was not a huge turnoff to me, but again, it wasn't making me kind of jump and say, yes, let's go. Um, I requested pictures, um, if they didn't have Facebook or if they didn't have a website, I wanted to see what the environment looked like. Um, I asked more questions about what the training program involved. How did they start? What was their opinion on launchers? What was their opinion on, um, when to start using an e-collar? Um, when do you put them in the field? Um, what food do you feed? Do I transition my dog on food? Do you transition my dog on food? Um, what's your vaccination policy? Um, how does he get vaccines if he's there? It, the whole conversation completely changed. Um, I, I, I went into more of an advocate for my dog mode um, and just knowing how he was going to be living when I was not there. Um, yeah, more of an interview with them. Yes. As, as, as awkward as it, it made me feel because you, you certainly, you don't want to, you don't want to insult these trainers and you don't want to insult their program. I'm, I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure they're very good, um, for certain dogs. It just was not, it wasn't for me. Um, and my husband and I actually went and visited a fairly, another fairly local trainer, um, and again, we just left with an uneasy feeling and we had, our, we had both been down that road. And so we know at this point, if we both, I might be a little overprotective. So I rely on him to be my check and balance. Um, but if we both have that feeling, we just, we've learned to go with it. Yeah. You definitely um, have to trust your gut. Yes, you do. You have to trust your gut. Um, some other things that I would ask people were, how many dogs do you keep at a time? How many dogs are you training at a time? Um, how many trainers do you have, or do you do it completely? Sorry. Yeah. Bailey wants to participate too. Um, <laughs> um, because in hindsight, I learned that that was very important. Um, I forgot to mention when I went back to pick, when I went back to visit Red, when I dropped him, when we dropped him off, there were about 10 dogs. When I went back to get him, there were about 30 barking nonstop. It was, it was, it was so loud. It was deafening. Um, so how many dogs do you have became important. Um, I also learned the stability of a program is very important. Uh, what we did not know at the time was our trainer and his partner were going through a business split. Um, they were going their separate ways. So you ended up with one trainer trying to care for all of these dogs and inevitably something was going to get missed. So the stability of a program, how long have you been doing this, um, was another key factor as well. So again, the, the whole thing shifted. Um, our expectations changed completely. Yeah. And you finally knew what questions needed to be asked yes. so that you could make sure that you were not only asking the right questions, but getting the right feel for where your dog would be mm -hmm. at. And that's, that's something that I tell people that they need to do all the time is have that communication and trust, um, with whether it's their breeder or their trainer, um, because you 
are taking your dog, which is part of your family, mm-hmm. to be in their care and their facility. And you have to feel comfortable with that and have to trust that they're going to be getting the care and the training um, that, A, they deserve and that you are paying for. Yes, absolutely. Um, so there were there were a few that I thought, okay, this, this could work out. And then um, I, I still, I had still been following because again, I went into, you know, superwoman mode. I'm going to teach my dog everything that he doesn't know. And I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, I'll just be honest with you. That doesn't really work very well because if you're learning at the same time, the dog is learning, you can't correct him in the moment. Cause you don't know. I reached a point to where um, he would do something and I would think, I have no idea what to do with you now. I, I don't know what to do with you. Exactly. Um, so it, it just wasn't working. Um, so when it came down to it, um, my my husband just said, if, if we're going to take the dog eight hours, there's absolutely, and I, I do mean this as a compliment, there's absolutely no one that's going to live up to your standards. You might as well just take him all the way to Kansas. So honestly, at that point, um, our priorities shifted. Um, Close proximity became further down on the list than knowing that um, and knowing that our dog was going to be taken care of and he was going to be safe and he was going to get very good training um, with that became the top priority more so than me getting to go and see him frequently. So our priorities did change. Yeah, because from where you're at, it's what, a 12, 15 hour drive? Yes. So, um, yes. which you made um, in in your camper up here with Red and and some family members. So it was a nice little road trip um, for you yes. and your family. It's and, not and exactly something you can do every on the weekend. other weekend and try to participate in training with him. It's 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 just right. not it's not feasible. So. So you um, were asking all the questions now, which included, you know what does my dog's day look like? What kind of training is he going to get? How many dogs do you have? How many employees or people Mm -hmm. taking care of him is there? Um, You know, what kind of facility do you have? Uh, Is, you know, vaccination protocol? And then also obviously meeting your goals and your expectations um, of can you accomplish these goals was important too to you. Um, And then then you just decided to, because you obviously didn't have an opportunity to tour our facility uh, being at such a distance. Um, so you just decided, and we had multiple phone calls. I remember, um, leading up to you making the final decision to send him for training. Um, And not only that, um, Patreon had been a huge resource. Um, I had been following you guys for, um, nearly a year. Um, I followed your, videos all the way through, um, the well-being process of Red's mom from to okay. transition, you know, the, the whole process with the puppies. And so I was familiar, uh, via that route with your facilities, with your own personal dogs, with how you viewed your dogs, how you treated your personal dogs. Um, I was very familiar with your social media. Um, I had watched for a year your dogs there in training. Um, So I was very, I didn't need to come see if your facility was clean because I had been looking at your facility for, for a year at that point. So um, that was, that is what led to me saying, okay, I feel comfortable enough to trust them. Um, Okay. So there, I guess it was about a year long research. Um, what ended up, you know, me saying, yes, this is, this is who (laughs) I want to use. (laughs) Yeah. And you were taking all of that information in, not necessarily in the ultimate goal of sending red to us for training, but just as an informational resource overall, as in, I know nothing what I'm doing and I am, I am trying to learn as I go. Um, so a tremendous resource, um, is what you guys provide. Um, but it ended up creating a client. Um, so it, um, 
it, it gave me a, a very long insight to how you live with not just your personal dogs, but with the, with your clients' dogs as well. So, yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, and that's what we've always wanted to do is just create a resource to help educate people. And ultimately, if that relationship um, becomes a training client or a puppy buyer in the future, you know, that's something that um, we love it when that happens, but um, it can't happen for everyone because some people can't travel halfway across the country, unfortunately. And also we can only take so many dogs in for training at a time. Yes. 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 So once, um, once Red came here, cause he's still here for training. Um, he's been here yes. for what now? Two months. Two approximately. months. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you were a- able to come visit him, even though it was a complete disaster of travel because of flights, <laughs> delays, all the things, but you were able to come, um, squeak out a little quick visit to see him at about that 30 day mark. Yes. Um, and he was overjoyed to see mom. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> I think that's one of the things that you're afraid of. And uh, for anyone that is afraid to send their dog because there is my dog going to forget me, which I'm still worried about that by the time I see him in October. But um, no, Red did not forget me. <laughs> so. No, no. He wasn't as thrilled with his birthday gifts um, other than the no, toy. I don't think he realizes like how much effort I went to with to get him all those little gifts. treats. And he was like, meh, give me, give me the stuffed cupcake. Yeah. Yes, he was much care. more excited about that. Um, no, but yes, I was able to come see him. Um, and again, just if you are, let's see, I might, I might need to backtrack because one of the things that I wanted to bring out was a little, um, was a little bit important even before we got to, um, his, when I came and visited at 30 days, when I came to drop him off, it was not a meet me at the door and take my dog and put my dog in a kennel that it was. And that was our first experience. When we first went to our first trainer, we got there, talked maybe five, 10 minutes. And then it was took red and put him in a chain length kennel with his barrel and then I was, we were expected to turn around and leave. And it was very difficult. It was very hard. Um, when I brought Red for drop-off um, at Standing Stone, it was a completely different experience. I think you guys ended up spending, and I don't know if you do this with all your clients or just the, the ones that you can tell are absolutely terrified, but you ended up spending about an hour and a half um, or more with me. Um, we gave Red time outside to go to the bathroom. We gave him time just with us, uh, me, you, and Jess outside with him to roam the the, the yard. Uh, we gave him time inside the training room, inside the office to get familiar with the with the sense and just being around y'all. Um, and it it was about a couple hour process for him to kind of familiarize himself, not just with the facility, but with y'all. Um, and so that was one thing that I, I did notice that drop off was completely different. It was not an abrupt change. It gave both owner and dog a chance to acclimate. Um, in fact, Red laid down and took a nap before I Yes, left. he did. How he, he got bored with it. Eased. Yeah, that's how at ease he was. So um, I'd like to make that differentiation as well for anyone that is thinking of what to expect. And I don't want to say, oh, you're special or you're not special. <laughs> Our typical drop off is one to two hours. Okay. Um, so, no, you that, know, we want to. Make- I'm glad to hear that. I'm very <laughs> glad to hear that. Yeah, I we want to make sure. Important that the dogs are comfortable here, mm-hmm. not just a rushed situation, um, which is also why I typically like to schedule my drop-offs before noon um, mm-hmm. because that allows the dog to have an additional, you know, eight, nine hours to get acclimated to the routine of the day, the other dogs, the other trainers, the handlers, um, before it's sleep overnight in the dark in this new environment and then 
just rush that situation. So my preference um, is before noon drop-offs for that reason. Um, it doesn't always work with people's schedules, but we you know try and accommodate that as best we can. And then time to go over your training goals, make sure we've got all of your contact information. That's always something that we want to confirm, those shot records, monthly medication, all of that is part of that process as well as, yeah, let the dog settle in a little bit. Yes. And, um, and I'll point out another difference was, is we had discussed beforehand, uh, and we had developed a plan, uh, given Red's history and I I'm sure any of your other, um, dogs coming in, um, we had already spent a month transitioning Red's diet. So there was no abrupt change in food, um, to further upset stomach, uh, GI system, um, Red was already quite accustomed to the food prior to coming there. And that's all good things. That's all things in, that I've learned that a good trainer will want for their dogs. They don't want a dog coming into a new environment and having to deal with, which I know if I had not transitioned him, you would have transitioned him. But a good trainer is not going to want a dog to have to go through an adjustment period and then cold turkey change dog food as well. Um, yeah. So that was, that was something that was important to me, um, after my first learning experience. Um, and you guys checked that box as well. Um, you checked the box of wanting his vet records. You checked the box of wanting to know when his, um, what he was on for heartworms. You weren't just going to be giving every single dog a shot of Invermectin on the first of every month. Um, you were going to maintain his flea and tick medicine. So all of those things were whether you know it or not, but it was things that I was looking for and you guys checked all those boxes. So. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Um, and the food thing. So that is something, um, that some people just want us to switch their dogs cold turkey. They don't bring anything. Um, the food that we feed usually transitions really well. We feed Eucanuba, um, and dogs don't typically struggle with that. Uh, some clients want their dogs to stay on dog food the entire time, um, that they're here for training. So they will bring a bag of food and then ship us food as needed. Um, if they want them staying on, you know, a specific food or formula of food. Um, so we, we make accommodations that way. If, you know, our clients want a specific food or, um, a transition period and we, we customize our goals for their training, um, because red's also in for, um, preparation for his Navda natural ability tests. So we're, you know, checking those boxes for preparation as well from, you know, exposure to tracking and water, um, and then the field stuff, as well as to be able to go hunting with you, um, for the first time when he goes back home. So, um, I think I saw something about you getting a new shotgun even. So I this did. is, this is all yeah. awesome. You're, you're getting all the yeah. pieces in place. I, I'm getting all the pieces in place for this dog. Yes. <laughs> the, I always mom. tell people, yeah, well, I always tell people, um, whatever you spend on your puppy is the least amount of money you'll ever spend on that dog because yeah, you, you buy the yeah. dog and then you've got the training and yes. the vet and yes. then the shotguns and the hunting trips and <laughs> all yes. the things they just add up, but, um, they're a very good investment. If it's you a very me. worthwhile investment. Yes. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to mention um, is we put a lot of emphasis on communication with our yes. clients. Um, and I know that you, you really appreciate that because I see you sharing posts and stuff all the time. Um, you know, on social media, we post little stories and videos and pictures of the dogs while they're here in training. So their owners who happen to be 15 hours away and missing them get to at least see a little glimpse of them while they're gone. Um, and then we send out weekly report cards as well so that our clients know what we're working on. If we are struggling with anything, we're transparent about that. Um, anything that we're excelling at because everyone likes to know their dog's doing a great job. And then our plans for their, you know, next week's worth of training. And we found that that has been something that a lot of our clients really, really enjoys those weekly report cards to be appraised of how their dog's doing in training. If we're falling short of those training goals, we can, you know, let them know that. Um, or if we're excelling at them and moving faster, it allows us to say, Hey, we're probably going to be ready for, you know, pick up earlier or, Hey, we might even be able to touch on some more advanced goals for you. So. Yes. Those, um, those are all very, uh, important things. Um, also just, knowing that their health is being 
monitored as well. Um, I know you guys send me on report cards. Occasionally I'll get weight checks, especially when he was first there. Um, so that I was able, you were honest with me about, um, red decided not to eat this morning or tonight, but he ate a little bit today and that was his first two days in going there. Um, so I think honest communication, um, because one of the things that I had received previously was red's doing great period. How's red? Red's good period. Um, and I have to say that the, I have, I, from that first, first night after I left Red there, um, your honest communication in letting me know, let me know that he really was doing okay because it wasn't just a blanket, tell me what I want to hear. You were very honest with me. Um, he chose not to eat last night, but he ate, he's eating a little bit this morning. Um, and then the weights on report card, given what we had been through, it was particularly good to see um, that uh, I could see that he did lose a couple of pounds. No big deal. That's that's fine. And then the very next week he had picked back up and almost had gained all of that weight back uh, within a week. Um, so I think it's honest communication. It's not just telling the client what they want to hear, but it's giving them or a like generic yeah, blanket statement. Oh, everybody's good. What's what's not going well? Like you said, what what are they struggling with? What are how are we working on this? Um, and I think that builds trust with the with the client. Um, and knowing what I know now, it's very important um, to know what what your dog is dealing with. So not just a generic. Yeah. And I want to make a statement about eating with dogs um, because, you know, Red obviously had a bad experience about his weight. Um, and even when he came here for the first couple of days, he was a little off eating. Mm -hmm. He didn't eat his full meals completely easily. And that is not uncommon. So if you're um, sending your dog off for training and your trainer says, hey, your dog didn't eat today, don't you know, pull the plug and be like, I've got to go get my dog. They're going to starve to death. Um, that is not the case. First of all, there's very few dogs out there that will literally starve themselves to death, right? That's not going to happen. Um, they have survival instincts, um, but we definitely don't want it to get to that point where they're, you know, losing 15 pounds or 14 pounds in a few weeks. We, um, expect a dog might take a couple days to get back on yes. eating consistently, because it is, even with an indoor facility like we have, that's climate controlled and very, you know, set up as much like a house, you know, dogs get to go out socialize as we can. It's still new. It's still different. Mm -hmm. And they've got new dogs that they're, you know, getting used to new people they're getting used to, and they may be overwhelmed and not want to eat in the next day or two. That's going to change. Um, yeah. So just be understanding of that in general dog behavior. Yes. I, I think that would be, I would expect that. I would, that would be a, a expectation. Some people yeah. may not, but I, I expected that ours just kind of boiled down to communication. Yeah. yeah. And, um, also if you are having a struggle or your dog's not making the progress that you were hoping in training, I think that it's good to have that communication with your trainer to know what their plan is to make progress. You know, we're struggling with this. Well, what's our plan to make progress with that? Or, you know, what are we going to try next to make progress in that area? You know, if we're seeing a dog that's lacking retrieving desire, what's our goals? What's our plans for that? Um, not just here, we're struggling with this, but we're not going to tell you how we're planning. We're not going to tell you what it, we're right? doing about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Having that open communication, like you said, I think um, not only is good, but I think clients appreciate. It's it it builds trust, uh, and that's I, I think that's key when you are when you are taking care of someone else's. I mean, they're they are they're like our family members. So but, yeah, um, definitely. Um, and so you mentioned our drop-off process a little bit because yes. you've experienced that. Um, and also, you know, you got to visit for a short amount of time. It was shorter than originally expected know, because I of know. flight I, delays. I, I hope to be able to be there and kind of be a part of his morning training session. I got there at nap time. <laughs> and hot time because we and had crazy yes, hot so, summer weather. Um, so I didn't get to, I didn't get to do all that with him. Um, but it was still good to be able to come back and see him and after he got over his 
um, very initial excitement of seeing mom and loving on mom and what do you have in the bag? I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> Give me this. Um, I was able to see his interaction with all of you. And that was very important to me. Um, I, I saw how he would go to you, Jess and Ethan just as easily as he would come to me. Um, I saw how, um, how when he did approach you, you, uh, and Jess, you too may have been in the middle of a sentence with me, um, but without missing a beat and completely natural, when he would come up to you, you guys would reach down and give him a little love on the head. Um, so all of those things let me see that my dog had been interacting with y'all and was familiar with y'all. He was not being kept in a kennel, only taken out when it was time for a bird to shoot out of a launcher and then shoved back in a kennel. Um, you've been interacting with him. Um, when I saw Ethan walk in and start to play fetch with him with his birthday gift and Red just naturally went to him, those were all things that showed me that you are treating him like you would your own. And him responding to you let me see that he had been being treated like that in my absence as well. So it wasn't just um the it day wasn't that, a show. That no, no. If it was a show, visited. he would have just stuck with me and he would not have easily and naturally gone to you guys for attention and affection just like he was me. No, it was definitely not a show. <laughs> Well, because you haven't experienced a send home yet, because he's still here with us. He's training, still there. <laughs> um, um, I'm going to just share a little bit about what that process is going to look like. I think we have talked about it already before because you're picking him up um, and then spending some time and then he's going to go run his Navda natural ability test yes. and you're going to handle him. Um, so typically our send home <laughs> process, fingers crossed that it all goes good, but dogs you know, unpredictable know. situations, all that, but, um, mom days, you know, which is why you're going to come and spend some time and not just pick him up and try and go take him yes. and handle him the next day. Um, but that process is, even if you weren't picking him up to go run him at a natural ability test, we're going to take time. Um, it's typically a few hours. Um, and some clients spend a few hours one day and then a few hours the next day, which is kind of what we're looking at doing, um, when you pick him up so that we can make sure that you are truly comfortable handling all of the training, not just watching us demo it because we're professional trainers and handlers. So we make it look easy. Mm -hmm. um, that's our job, right? To, to do this. So we want somebody that's not a professional, that's just, you know, a mom, um, of their dog to be able to say, okay, red, I want you to kennel. I want you to heal. Um, and I want you to do those for me as well as you're doing it for, you know, Jess or cat or Tessa. And then we want to show you all the field work and then have you handle that. Um, as well as because you're running him through a natural ability test, we're going to set up a mock test where, Hey, this is what we're going to do in the field. This is how the test is going to go. So you feel comfortable. Um, same with, you know, we're going to put him on a track. Hey, this is how you need to release him at the track. This is how you need to do his water work for his water portion of the test to go through all those pieces. So, um, so that he's going to handle for you and you're going to feel comfortable and confident when it's time to run him. So that's what our typical send homes look like. Um, and we spend as much time as necessary. I always tell people, if you have your own e-collar, bring it with you so that you can handle with the system you're going to be using and feel comfortable with. Um, if you plan on getting an e-collar from us, we'll have one here ready for you so that you're going to use and handle with the collar you're going to go home with and be right. using at home. Um, so those are things that we want to go over. We send home a cue sheet so that everything he's learned is on a piece of paper that says the cue and how we utilize the collar and reinforce that behavior so that when all of the information that we've just thrown at you goes in one ear and out the other, you can go, oh, at least it's written down and I can yes. take this home with me. <laughs> and I think just to, um, and I know we've been talking for a little while, um, but just to tag on to what you said about prepping him and getting him prepared for his NAVDA test and me as well. Um, when you're looking for a trainer, I, I now know it's also important to know what your plans are with the dog. Because not every bird dog is going to be, and not every owner and majority of our friends that have uh, bird dogs, they don't care uh, whether the dog ever runs in any type of hunt test 
or any field trials or anything like that. So I think it's important to know um, if you if you do have that in mind, to know that the trainers you're sending your dog to uh, is familiar with that and they know what they need to be training. So yes, that also was a perk because I later learned what Navda was and uh, and and realized, hey, I have an interest in this. Um, so knowing that you guys were very familiar, very familiar with Navda, then that also played a role because you knew what my goals were and you were able to help me obtain those. If I took Red to a trainer that did no tracking work, well, we're not really going to do very good on that test. Um, if I took him to someone who just focused on upland and did not focus on just field work and didn't focus on the water aspect. So all of that, those were things that I was looking for the second time around, kind of knowing more and, about what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. And we, um, we don't have experience in all of the different areas of testing. We're, we're experienced with running through AKC, yes. you know, tests, hunt tests, and the Navda hunt tests. Um, but if you brought me your dog or you talked to me about bringing me your dog that you wanted to run off horseback field trials, I would say, Hey, there are other trainers out there that are going to do a better job of that because we don't have experience in that area. And I don't want to overpromise something that I can't do because I don't have the experience or the knowledge um, to, right. to do that. So, and that goes um, back to finding a trainer that can work with what your expectations are. Like the retriever trainers here locally, um, they, that was not the specialty. So, um, finding a trainer that fits what you're looking for is, is important. So. Yes. And one little tidbit that I just have to throw out here is, um, and I have to ask, cause I don't remember the order of how this went about is, did you find out that you have friends or colleagues um, that have bought a couple dogs from us now puppies and sent one of them back to us for multiple rounds of training um, before or after you sent Rhett here? Um, it was after I had already, um, it was after I had already put down the deposit Okay. to bring him. Um, we were, we were in the lounge at work talking and somehow, and he said, why don't you just send him a standing stall? And it was like, why haven't we had this conversation before? <laughs> um, so we now have a lot of conversation. Um, and we, um, Nikki and I, um, both stalk your social media. And if one's dog is on social media more than the other, we are texting about Oh, it's a competition. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because they're both I, actually no, it here. Was, it was this validation training. of knowing, oh my goodness. So these people I've been watching for a whole year and who are now going to take my dog. Okay. So it brought another layer of comfort in knowing that they had used you guys before, um, and had been very, very pleased. And it, it's one thing, and I'll say, if you are, if you were someone looking for a trainer, um, if you are able to, like I said, I observed for nearly a year. Um, but it's one thing that myself and they commented on was how happy all of the dogs seem. And it has been a learning point for me to, to realize that you can have it all. You can have a dog that you just, you love immensely, that is happy to, um, to work for you, to point for you, to retrieve for you, to, to cuddle with you, to be your family companion and your hunting companion. It is okay to have all of that. Um, the dog does not have to be broke. And, um, they can still enjoy what they're doing and they can be trained in a way that they, they absolutely love it. So, um, that's something that he and I, uh, that we have commented on in watching your dogs. Absolutely. And we actually have both Wave and Red in for training simultaneously <laughs> right now. Red, Red's going to be here a little bit longer because yeah. Wave's just in for a tune-up before season. Um, and she's been here for training before. And she actually goes home um, next I, weekend. I know she goes home. Trust me, I've heard. <laughs> I'm, sure they'll, I'm sure they'll ask to get a picture or take a video or something of Red when, when they come up as well. So we'll make sure to get yes. to that for them with them up here. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about 
all of this. I think that the biggest takeaway is just to educate yourself. Absolutely. Figure out what your purpose is for training and make sure you ask plenty of questions and that you can trust and have open communication with the trainer you choose. Um, And you have to decide what your priorities are. You know, if location ultimately was your initial priority and you made adjustments on those priorities to get something else um, after you realized what was missing, um, you just have to decide what those true priorities are for you. And not every trainer is going to be right for every dog. And so finding the one that fits you and your dog and what you're looking to accomplish is, is what we can take away from this. Not that every dog has to come to standing stone for training because like I mentioned, we might not not, be the right trainer for everyone. It may not be, um, but just kind of knowing that it is okay to have expectations, um, um, and it's okay to go with your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it, it's not, just don't do it. Uh, go with your gut. Um, and I would say for, for the women specifically, it is okay to expect your dog to be loved on. Um, that just because they are hunting dogs does not, I mean, I have never seen more affectionate craving dogs in my life. And it's okay to expect that for your dog when they're at training as well. Um, and it does not mean that they're a sissy baby dog that I have heard repeatedly about my dogs. Um, it's, well, they're not just tools. They're not just tools. They're part of the family that they do have a job and a purpose and they love their job and purpose. Um, you know, so let's train them to do the best job that they can to love it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, well, thank you again, Ashley, so much for being on our podcast with me today. It's always enjoyable to talk to you and we could probably talk for much more time, but we'll cut it short. It makes me feel closer to Red. (laughs) (laughs) And I will make sure that he gets a post tonight so that you get a chance to see him. If he hasn't on, I'll have to check the story and see where he's at, but he'll get another post either way tonight. All right. That's a good thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And um, we will be back talking about Red when you get to pick him up in just over a month. Yes. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Kat. Thank you. 